so interesting because I feel like I'm in my like Cruella Deville no like, era where I'm like no love only career <laughs> no I love her I feel like she should have come back for the remake like in some way how on Wednesday you have Chris was it Christina something coming back yes I would have loved seeing Glenn Close in that remake. Yeah. Glenn Close is just the... Even the animations have, like, her spirit in it. But, you know. Yeah. yeah. Did you see her at the Met, like, when she was wearing Valentino? And she's just like... Oh. I don't know. I think she's also a queer icon. Because if you look at her in the 90s, she's so, like, beautifully butch. Yeah. I was like, hot. <laughs> like, no joke. Like, there's a... A interview of her like maybe on the Rosie O'Donnell show and she's like wearing this like black turtleneck and this leather jacket and I'm like and her hair I've... see for me it was um what's her name um Jamie Lee Curtis yeah and, uh and in a way uh what's her name as well oh my god uh, a Whoopi Goldberg in a way oh yeah Hello everyone and welcome to Chai with Rai. Hi, I'm your host Rai and each week I bring you a guest from the creative industry and we discuss all things life and culture all while sipping and sipping some hot chai. Now, if you haven't done so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. If you love this podcast and are listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible, or wherever you stream your podcast from, if you could do me a kind favor and make sure to rate the podcast and share it on your stories on social and spread the word. It organically grows the show and connects us with listeners who haven't tuned in before and overall just shares the love. Now, without further ado, let's warm up our cuppers. Oh, I forgot to mention almost. If you haven't followed us on social media, make sure to do so and tag us and let me know what you're sipping on whilst you listen to this episode. So I'm going to stop rambling and let's dive into part one of part two with filmmaker, writer, actor and model Justice Jamal Jones. All right, in an interview for, was it Roaring Twenties, the podcast, you say how you think of yourself as a queer romantic person. So with that in mind, list three things that have happened to you in a romantical setting that have been, well, not romantic. Okay, go. I fell out of the window. Um, I have thrown up and I had an asthma attack. Okay, you need to say what happened in all of those three things. Okay, so I was on... I actually fell out of a window last year, um, like in August, September. Um, I felt like in a, a romantical setting. Yes, it was on a date, and I fell out of a window, and it was like really bad. It was like the worst date ever, um, and they probably thought I was crazy, but I was like, I didn't mean to. I just like this. Just it wasn't. This wasn't a good night, and um, that's how that night ended. And then I have like thrown up because like you get sick sometimes and you're around your partner and that's not fun on like, them no I don't think I've thrown up on anybody before but I've like okay. been like pretty queasy and then I have I also didn't realize that I was allergic to like latex oh and so like I would have sex with people and I would have an asthma attack after and I was like I don't know if the sex is that good that I'm <laughs> after this and then I was like, oh, wait, like I'm allergic to latex. Oh, so you're allergic to the condoms, basically. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wait, so what does one do now? Just to, to like use protection? Yeah, just prep? Latex-free condoms. Wait, oh. am I daft in knowing that there's latex-free condoms? Maybe a little bit. It's like, there are, they, ha- they have them. Because people are just so allergic to latex. Oh, 
did not know this or just prep or you're just like me and you're just like celibate most of the time because you're like I don't know what's happening but that's another that's another conversation for another time we'll we'll dive into that later yeah all right in another interview 2021 damn these heels apples and trees short programs post film question and answers you described how Lady Gaga's Marry the Night was one of the information one of the inspirations for how to raise a black boy that whole collage scene that she does in terms of that so the representation of that so with that in mind and our pre-conversation that we first time have list three aspects of life and creativity that Beyonce could improve on go um I think she could be more honest I think she um no life and creativity I don't know I feel like she's so like I don't know I think she's honest I don't know I think like let me actually think about this. I want to kind of answer this. You don't have I, to. Don't let the beehive come for you. I don't think, I don't really, honestly, I don't really know. That's okay. I don't even know if the beehive is really still, I think they're still working, but I'm like, like it's been, it's been so long. You know what I mean? It's kind of like tired. Are you still on the rotor? Yeah, I don't know if they're still functioning. Like, I feel like it's like Twitter. I feel like it's still working, but like no one's really working there, you know? That is true. In every episode, somehow Beyonce ends up making it into my episode. Either I bring it or in a conversation. And I'm just waiting to get cancelled because of that. Just Maybe you're obsessed. I don't know. Who knows? Because I feel like I hear so many stories about people just like coming for you. And I have yet to have that. So, you know, one day. Yeah, one day. One, one day. day. All right. I'm going to share my screen for this because this is our uh, watching round as well as a listening round. So you featured in these two um, projects, which I really, really have loved, which is Rodney Chrome's Five Stars. Okay. Mm-hmm. As well as, um, this, what is it? A Queer Love Story. This is Magic by a Great Big World. Uh-huh. Okay, so with that in mind, with the two projects that you have been featured on, list three policies you would run on as your candidacy for president of the United States of America. Go. Justice for all. I would get rid of guns. (laughs) Actually, I wouldn't get rid of guns. I would like do what Julia Fox said, where she was like, women should have guns because like penises are like weapons of mass destruction. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I don't know why, but that logic really made sense. Wait, did you watch her on Z-Way, who I'm absolutely obsessed yeah. with? Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah, Julia Fox's makes sense. Like, sometimes Julia Fox's hot takes are like, they resonate really deeply with me. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. like, women should have guns because men have penises. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I also think, like, she should have her own show of some sort which is on like a bigger space. So it doesn't need to be a podcast or a film or a reality TV show. It needs to be, so- she needs to have her own something. Yeah. Julia Fox. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's on its way. I don't know. I don't, but I also feel like she's just like such a New York girly that like, that's sometimes all you need to be. Yep. All right. Your last round. This is your last questions. Um, You did a beautiful campaign for Calvin Klein with Dazed called Pearls in the Spotlight. So list three things because recently she's been popping up on my feed a lot and I love her. List three things Kiki Palmer would say if she was featured in that campaign in five seconds. Go. Um, she would say, I don't know that man. Um, she would say she would be pregnant. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry to this man. I don't know this man. 
talk to this man. I don't know this man. I've never seen this man in my life. I think yeah. she's so genius. I really think she is one of the most genius actresses out right now who are just like hustling on every single platform. Yeah, I think she's really interesting. I think like, I also always feel like she's like an older woman stuck in like a young woman's body. Mm. Like, of like my older aunties and I'm like, oh, wow, like this, these are your, like you speak like this. And I'm like, okay. Like also she just also like she needs to play like Angela Bassett and Angela Bassett's bio. <laughs> Directed by Angela Bassett or not really? I don't know. I don't know. But I just feel like they're so similar, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Wait, uh, I feel like Kiki Palmer is more funnier though. Yeah. Angela Bassa is much more um gritty. Yeah. Yeah, but they have like a similar like they look alike and like it's weird. It's Wait, weird. they did do the film together. The her first film, isn't it? Yeah, like yeah. Uh, Akil and the Bee. That's it. I was gonna say something spelling bee, but that's not it. Yeah. Yeah. But it was good. It was I I, I love them together always. So I kind of want to see that one day one day but they did do an interview recently what was it for vanity fair or something which was I don't really... think I that yet. yeah it was really good i mean i can stop this podcast and we can just watch that <laughs> well more than anything throughout just watching you this entire week i and i said this to you the first time we spoke i just want to know your skincare routine and i think people should know your skincare routine um because it just looks great thank you and like you're just beautiful thank you I feel like I feel like my skincare routine has to do a lot with just like simplicity and like I realized for myself that I didn't realize that like oily skin needs oils Mm -hmm. you know like that's the reason that it's producing all of like that sebum so that's kind of my thing I'm like kind of oily skin but I like make sure that I put the right oils on top so I don't do anything weird yeah uh, yeah i've also Wait, we like... talked to, we talked about the ordinary we talked about creating yeah, yeah. because it's just it feels simple it's just like really like this is the especially for like skin of color i think like it's nice to know that you're not getting like fragrance in your skincare or you're not getting alcohol like weird alcohols that aren't the right types of alcohols in your skincare yeah. because like caucasian skin can take all that shit and not like hyperpigment but like I like put on one thing and it has fragrance and my face is like red like red alert red alert red alert like we can't do this because because like the melanocytes just like go insane so that's one thing like if you have skin of color just like don't put fragrance on your face you know it's just so bad for you I agree with you. I it took me a long time to do that because it's it's a census thing as well that you want to smell things so like lavender infused or like orange infused. You're like, oh, this is calming. This yeah, is yeah, delicious. Yeah. This this does something. And then you're like, no, breakouts. No. You can do it like I think all over your body and stuff. Like no, I break out because especially oh. I have rosacea or like oh, styrosis. Okay. So I realized later no. on. No, so I just stick to body oil, like straight up either neem oil, which is like an Ayurvedic thing. So like that it. smells great too. Neem oil actually doesn't. Coconut oil does. So I'm I think neem oil has like an interesting smell though. It's not like horrible. It's like it's kind of earthy. It's very earthy. I think like on like a more like masculine person, it would smell really good. You know what I mean? Did you just diss me already? No, like no. Wow. What I'm saying. Is, wow. Like, I feel, I feel wow. Like, 
No, no, what I mean is like if you're I'm like a weird, I know I'm in this, like I go back and forth with like gender stuff. Like if you feel like very like masculine and like woodsy one day. Yeah. That's a vibe. Well, I, I mean, like since we're talking about that, that was going to be one of my questions, which in in a lot of my interviews, so like when I was listening to you on the Roaring Twenties podcast, which by the way, I'll link stuff to, but I'm gone. You're kind of um, discussing in regards to pronouns, how you're, um, kind of making it not adjustments if I'm paraphrasing please correct me but in regards to being non-binary but then when you did the ABC interview you are very much standing that you use they them pronouns you are non-binary and then watching a lot of your things I was very intrigued to know how do you sit with sexuality and gender today because for some people that's a very linear line for some people it's a very blurred line for some people, it just is. So I, as of today, how do you feel in it? I feel like with those things, I think about, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think it's about performance and also about like, it's really situational um, and creating those type of like dynamics. For example, for like the ABC News thing, I had to like be pretty distinct in saying that like, oh, my pronouns are they, them. And like, I am non-binary because I'm on a panel full of like cisgendered men of a certain time and a certain age on a certain network where like that is like really going to be given to like this really um, like the masses and the masses may not completely understand the different nuances. Correct. But I feel like if I'm talking to and the interviewer was like a straight man, you know, so I think that is also like, okay, I'm going to give you the ABCs like one two threes easy but like if I'm talking to like another queer person and I'm in like a queer space I feel a little bit more freedom and like not only doing like the ABCs or the one two threes where I can like maybe set in a little bit of like I guess gender algebra there so people aren't like um like it's not like for me when I'm around queer people I'm really kind of open with I think pronouns and usually people who like I am comfortable with, I'm really open with pronouns with my friends and my family and things like that. Cause I feel like it also informs that. Um, but I think in some spaces it's important to um, have visibility because sometimes those spaces will like make you invisible. So you have to use pronouns and identity as a way to like shine a light on not only your own identity, but like your community. Does it make any sense? I just muted myself, but yes, it does. Cause I was coughing. <laughs> cool. Yeah. I was thinking, I was like, I think that. No, it's like because there's a, I've had a cold. Everybody in freaking London just gets, you get on the tube and everybody's like. <laughs> oh, no, I hate that. That's so horrible. Oh. I hate this shit. Like literally I got on the tube yesterday. This person, the carriage is empty. And when I tell you empty, she comes and sits next to me. Old lady, bless her soul, everything. I moved like my gloves and my, my book. And she's just like, <laughs> and I'm just like, woman. She said, I can't. I can't. I can't. So yeah, so I've got the cold now. But yeah, that's like my idea on gender, I guess. And also, I, I guess with sexuality, that's also different. I don't know how I'm feeling about those things. Like I was saying earlier, I've been, I think, looking more into like the performance of sexuality and sex recently and like really trying to figure out those dynamics, even within myself and in the past. 
Um, right now I'm in the top, like right now I, I, I was a contributor, contributor to a book that's coming out in February called A Pill for Promiscuity. Um, it's about gay sex in the age of the pharmaceuticals. Um, and the um, editor for that, Andrew Spieldenner, um, we've kind of been in the talks about a new kind of book project that is talking about, um, I guess, just like overarching like blackness, queerness and criminalization. Um, and they wanted me to talk about like, what does the future of this look like? Like, how can we like reclaim those things? And I've been strangely interested in like kink, um, especially for black people and black and brown people, because there are so many dynamics in there that seem really like would be really weird for black people to participate in um, just because of like generational trauma, such as like a master slave dynamic or like rope play or even like, I guess, like play with, um, I guess, um, leadership figures or figures and dynamics. People. Yeah. And so like I have, that's one thing I've been just trying to figure out with myself where I don't necessarily know anymore, I guess, which is, I guess, maybe okay. But like, I've been feeling a little bit like sexually stagnant because I'm like, like, I, I, I love the idea of kink for the moment of like exploration, but sometimes I feel like all I'm doing is playing a role for people. And like those roles are getting really like tired. Like I'm kind of like, I don't, uh, this isn't like necessarily fun or exciting you know like I, and I think also yeah. especially that within like for me like like different forms of like hookup culture and what does it mean to be specifically like a person of color who's queer within those spaces I think there are so many roles you're given and I'm just like oh my god this is a lot and it's almost it's a lot but it's still not enough doesn't make any sense like it's a lot yeah. of not enough how do you so, deal with that because I I um I sorry did I interrupt on your thought no 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 no, no. I'm good I always find it intriguing when we're dealing with sexuality and gender and the bystander of what that is. So whether it be queer, gay, bisexual, trans, um, the intersectionality of that and what the bystander of that is, but then our personal journey. And sometimes, like you're saying, it gets overwhelming. But how do you deal with that emotional aspect? Just like you said, it gets tiring. I, I feel like sometimes it's saddening as well because there's a lot of people that you can't talk to even within the community. Yeah. Yeah. I I just get like exhausted. I feel like I, I'm like searching more for like, I guess, play and forms of like, I guess, like joy and maybe even mm. joy in like these things that I may have found as perverse or joy in the taboo and things like that. And I've also started to feel a little bit like bogged down by feeling like I'm replicating like straight sex for people or like there's this idea of like straightness has become so I think I feel like in some ways like because of the progress of queer people there's been kind of this strange alignment towards straightness in some ways of like oh if like we're the same and like we're not and like we live different worlds and we have different dynamics and like I don't want to have, I don't want to have like a straight relationship with someone, you know, like I don't want to replicate that necessarily. Can I ask what, what you're talking in regards to translating that in a form of, are you talking about attributes, personality attributes, or are you talking about romantically? 
I'm talking about like romantically and even like, I guess like sexually, like I think one thing that always really confused me, especially with like gay men was like the top and bottom idea. Cause it still doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like it's still like to this day, I don't get it sometimes. Cause I'm like, we're gay. <laughs> Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, we're like, <laughs> I'm like, we're gay though. So like, it all doesn't really matter. And then it's like, wait, know, what do you mean? It doesn't matter in terms of like giving or receiving or you're just like, do fuck like each really other. Like, like, it doesn't even really matter. Like you don't even need to like necessarily, like if we're queer, you don't even need to necessarily like penetrate someone to have sex or wait why do you say that because I feel like if you think about it like if for me it's like if I think about it it's like I if you don't if that's not like the situation that's working sexually there's a plethora of other things to do yes but a lot of people don't want to explore that but I'm just like I just don't I sometimes I get I just get confused because I'm like why are we as queer people it feels like we're like shrinking our like what we want down uh-huh and do down to what these what straight people can do well, like yeah like, yeah like sex or like or even like i also think even like the like phenotypes of like within gayness of like this person looks like a top or this person looks like a bottom or this person is this and blah, 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 blah. i'm like i am so lost and i think that also is me being like slowly disconnecting myself from gayness into being like a more like non-binary person but like even in that that holds a whole gamut of I guess complications but, just, I was like should we just talk about this the whole time but we are true. I think I'm just like in a weird spot where I never thought I would be like sexually frustrated in this way yeah like I am and I'm like how am I now like coming into myself but the more I feel like I'm coming into myself the less like I I don't think this is true but it seems that there are like less options for me romantically or sexually the more I know myself may I ask an intrusive question which you can say no to does that come from the fact because I I think conversations around a lot of those happens which you just pointed out when you're romantically unfulfilled because I think romance takes a different form when we're in that space so when we have somebody to share moments of tenderness with but also share moments of sensuality and sexuality and all of those other things I think that's a different space to be in so basically in layman forms what I'm saying is it does it come from the fact that you don't have anybody to share that experience or conversation with right now maybe I think it might and I think also it's to like not continue to blame straightness but I think it's like going back to like roles and like timelines like in my mind I'm like oh my god I'm literally 20 I just turned 24 by now my mom was married we're different generation don't you worry about that (laughs) like I'm 32 no but even in that but even in that of like seeing other people like yeah. seeing like other straight people who I'm friends with I'm like you're already married you know what I mean like I'm like what you know or like or even myself I think it's like we're we're living in a time where I guess gay people have more rights and we're but we just haven't seen it yet like in some ways we've seen like queer people be in relationships 
and have long-term relationships. Of course, I we've all seen that, but even for me, there are still some elements that I don't know how to navigate. Like, I don't know how to navigate, like, I sometimes feel like the only thing that's like given to me, and this isn't like always a bad thing. And like, I've found like joy and love in these scenarios, but I have to be honest, like, I feel like I'm only gonna, like, I have to like marry a white man or something. Like I have to like date a white man and like, that's not a bad thing, but I'm like, why is this the role? You know what I mean? Like, why do I only see that around me? You know, and that's just me being honest, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't like, again, I will say that's not a bad thing. I think that's like a great thing regardless of love you find. But I think for me, I'm just like, that's just a really interesting perspective thing that I'm going through where I'm like, there has to be, there's more options. But are you innately doing anything in regards to that? So like, it's it's like being like, I will only go out with brown boys or ethnic people. I will not date white people or I won't do X, Y, and Z. Like, I guess I'm just like, but I've like pulled off from dating people. Like I've like, because yeah. I'm also like, I'm the, I'm the aggressor. Like I'm, I've never really been the person. No one's ever asked me out on a date. What? Like. No, I've never. Nobody like, slides in your DMs. No. Nope. Why do I have people here all the time who never get any DM slidation? No. Nope. Um, I and everybody, I, please I, slide into Justice's DMs, <laughs> please. Thank you so much. This that but, will but that I'm will never, be the title. Slide into my DMs with Justice <laughs> Jamal Jones. But like you know, like I don't like people don't you know I don't like I go out places and people like don't come up to me and ask me like what my name I, I don't get like I don't get that energy so I'm always being on the apps on the apps even on the apps you're on the apps I are you like, sure yeah even on the apps yeah I find that hard to believe justice look at you no no no. I'm not lying I think it I'm 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 honest about this like I think it also the apps I also confuse people people don't like especially like on grinder like this is not the same like that world is crazy like I don't think it doesn't even really fit for me and honestly are also people reaching out and you're just picky no I don't think so I'm being completely honest like I'm, I'm also- just I just listened I quest I feel, I feel like I'm the aggressor and so yeah it's how do so since I've been saying like oh no I'm not gonna do that anymore yeah what like comes to me it's been a little bit of a lull but hopefully that lull is creating like better boundaries and better like um I guess connections of like this is what like I just guess say it. <laughs> like it's creating better like I I don't want to be that person like, oh, I'm manifesting it but like maybe I mean, like when yeah. you don't choose sometimes the right things come yeah you know like, like instead of like choosing the choosing like things for the moment or like short-term things um if people could slide into justice's dms court them <laughs> you know I, guess, in, I don't know yeah don't know. It, woo them is what i say woo them yeah take them out to a couple of dates um you know all of those things was it like miscongeniality if i was to ask you what's your perfect date and you'll be like march 23rd not too hot not too cold <laughs> <laughs> honestly yeah i'm like i don't even know if i have a perfect date what is my perfect date 
What would do, do you mean, as wait as a lame question as of this moment, this very moment right now, if somebody was to come into your life and be that person for you, what do they look like? What do they sound like? How do they treat you? I feel like these are like things that I like things that I hold really close to myself and things yeah. that like I think work for me is like I would really want to have a partner that would want to like do healthy things with me I guess I know that sounds really stupid but like oh if you just want to Netflix and chill and eat Cheetos and things like that that's out of the question no I love that stuff like I love we like we can watch Netflix all day but if, five days well, of binging on donuts not doing that a lot like I like my perfect day is that if like someone wanted me to like go like crazy over them would be like oh we're gonna go hiking on a really nice hiking trip and it has to be just like a day that's my nightmare and you and we go hiking and there's like and we and we're not like running up the hill but like you brought like snacks and a knife if in case somebody decides yeah. to bring guns a whole arson because but we like, got- we, like, like we're doing something or like we go on a boat or like you like, like, you know what I mean? Like I'm adventurous. Like I want to do, you know, like I don't want to, I want someone to take me somewhere. Okay. You know, and I want to take someone else somewhere. In, in a year's time, I'll drop you a line again and you'll be like, oh, guess what? I'm with like X and X and our first date was hiking in Nevada. And I'll be like, wow. <laughs> but like, wow, manifestation. Who knows? Oh God. <laughs> Well, shifting gears, because we've talked about love, romance, and sexuality for such a long time. I find it so interesting, because I feel like I'm in my, like, Cruella de Vil era, where I'm like, no love, only career. (laughs) No. I love her. I feel like she should have come back for the remake. Like, in some way, how on Wednesday, you have, was it Christina something coming back? Yes. I would have loved seeing Glenn Close in that remake. Yeah. Glenn Close is just the, even the animations have like her spirit in it. But, you know, yeah. yeah. Did you see her at the Met? Like when she was wearing Valentino and she's just like. I don't know. I think she's also a queer icon. Because if you look at her in the 90s, she's so like beautifully butch. Yeah. I was like, hot. (laughs) Like no joke. Like there's a. A interview of her like maybe on the Rosie O'Donnell show and she's like wearing this like black turtleneck and this leather jacket and I'm like and her hair I've... see for me it was um what's her name um Jamie Lee Curtis yeah and, uh and in a way uh what's her name as well oh my god uh, a Whoopi Goldberg in a way oh, yeah yeah all right let's let's shift gears because I really wanted to find this out um especially when I have people who have such a poignant view and there's this actor who talks about the tenderness of the black experience and he talks about the joy in that and how he talks about his auditions that sometimes he would have and how he would get just stereotyped all the time and he he wanted roles and stories that would elaborate on the experience of just like let's say if it was two black men just holding hands and that being a tender moment and expanding the narrative that is constantly just out there and I found that that in your interviews and in watching How to Raise a Black Boy that was something that I don't know if I'm just reading on or if I'm projecting but that is something that comes out a lot and I'm intrigued to know going through this quest myself of what is it that I want my work to now project in this point of my life 
Where does this passion really stem from? And how have you come to be where it is today? Because watching your, I don't know if that was your first project, but American Horror Story. Oh yeah, that was a long time ago. Wow. How did you find that? Is that online? It is online, yeah. <laughs> I need to delete it. <laughs> I mean, I can say, no, don't delete it. <laughs> I think I have an obsession with like beauty and like the, like with beauty and things that are like quite ugly. I don't think things can exist. I don't, that's why I'm quite skeptical of beauty a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, because I feel like beauty can only exist because of maybe some sort of violence um, in some ways that I kind of think of. Um, and that might be a bit pessimist, but I think that almost, well, when we find beauty that is like really organic and natural, that is like so, te- like so precious. And so like something to be like taken care of, but once it becomes kind of like possessed, it gets, um, I think it's tainted. Um, but I think with my work, I've been, I think I've been trying to live in both of those forms of like duality. Like I, I love like, like with, I think with the things, the visuals I want to create, I think I just want to make honest art more than anything and I know that sounds a bit cliche but like honest for me I don't I'm not really a person that is trying to be representative of an entire um demographic um because I don't think I can do that and that's just me being honest like I I don't think someone's like oh this is a a great story that represents the black community and I'm like I don't think it is because this is just my perspective and I am not the black community. In order for us to see representation of the entire black community, we need more than one person at the table. Like we need the whole table. But I think sometimes there's something the opposite of that, using those things to get ourselves into the door and getting things like project grants or applications. Yeah, most definitely like using like those things to get us in the door. Um, but I also do think like that's one thing that I've been really trying to think a lot about where I'm like, oh, like representation is such a huge, huge word. And like that is still like a goal, like it's still like an idea, you know, and I think we all we're still kind of pushing towards that. And I think also if like with tenderness, I, I'm trying to always kind of like trying to stylize my emotions in different ways. And I, I don't know, I've just been realizing that there's a lot of, like things are not always black and white and emotions and feelings aren't always black and white and things that are tender and like that, like seeing two black men hold hands might feel more tender than seeing two white men holding hand, hands to some because of more um, struggle that, that those two black men have had to face to do that. Mm-hmm. like an immediate ability to do that in some ways in with within other types of people i guess so my question to you is this why not theater why not radio why not other things you went into filmmaking and then for me as a consumer of your product you've it's it's a very stylized conceptual way that you have shared your vision with us did you know that you were always going to be like this or that was the work that's intentional or not really intentional? I think so, yeah. I think yeah. for me, like I've always been a very visual person and I think visuals 
I always saw visuals as like, I guess, puzzle pieces when I was a kid. And even now, I feel like visuals tell us a lot about people and they're like great cues. Um, and I think sometimes I, my, my visual intelligence wasn't, and I think in the same way of with a lot of queer people, wasn't celebrated in school. Like I think queer kids have, queer people in general just have this incredible intelligence of, of creating image. And I think that's what we're continuously doing with ourselves, I guess. And so I feel like it would just be intrinsic for me to create films that feel very um, stylized and embodied. And I think queer in the same ways that I feel queer. Um, and I think queerness is also like a, a, an element of like becoming and like transforming and reforming. And I kind of want my films to to um, embody that. Um, so, yeah. Do you ever fight that? Because sometimes I fight my instinct um, because like running into circles or like going to film school, there's lots of people that talk about um, having commercial viability as opposed to doing art indie house projects. Um, yeah. Lots of big directors talk about it as well. Do you ever question that? I don't think I did question that because yeah. I think for me, one part of me just speaking very honestly, is like I grew up in acting. I grew up in modeling. I grew up in that kind of world. And I realized how much that what I realized, I got really tainted by the commercial, the commercial, commerciability. What is that word? Like commercial industry, you can just say. Like how commercial I could be. Yeah. You know, like, oh, like we like your look because you're just dark enough to be a black person, but you're not too dark. And people like literally saying stuff like that to you or like, oh, can they fit this or can they fit that? And it's like, oh no, like, like that's not the idea like and I and I think for film film was my escape and my escape from that world because when I went to NYU drama I was excited to become an actor I thought that was what I was going to do and I still think in many ways I will act and do stuff in the future but I got there and I was really disappointed and I just continuously was given the same type of roles no one really knew what to do with me I didn't learn much and I just like felt like I was just kind of sitting there and filmmaking was my like revolt and like me doing exactly what I wanted to do and so I guess since that was like the origin I don't really ever feel like I will like try to be commercial got it like even in like commercial works of like with Calvin Klein and MTV I am like continuously pushing stuff, you know, and, and getting paid for that. You know, at least me and my friends are getting paid, you know, yeah. like at least like if we are doing something that might, we might have to slightly change for the client that balances out, you know? Got it. All right. Well, I do want to talk about how to raise a black boy. And the, the two things, uh, if everybody just wants to type that in and your name, I think you'll find lots of questions, which I'm just not going to repeat myself. But I want to geek out a little bit about it. And the conversation that you and I had once you were like in the graphics and the collaging of it, you put so many like little hidden gems that people might not know. So I wanted to one ask, what are some of the things that you haven't told anybody that you have put in there 
that you'll be like, oh my God, nobody addressed that. And also I I was like the shots of the boys and the groups and things like that. For me, correct me if I'm incorrect. I feel like that comes from your family running, what was it, a group and lots of boys living there. Does that influence the film? Yeah. And then, and then the third thing was, I have two quotes here from the film, which I wanted to do. I don't know if you've ever watched Jimmy Kimmel when he has like musicians on or rappers on and things like that. And they okay. say, like, and then people dumb it down like the dummies version. And I was okay. going to read them out. And I was like, if you could dummy it down for the, you know, for the average person who's not into the world of poetry or spoken word. Let's do that. So yeah, go for it. Honestly, I feel like my friend Angie, who was the who's always gonna probably edit most of all my work, um, has more hidden gems because like would know more of them because she put them there. Got it. But I some of the hidden gems, let me try to think. Give me three. How about that? Just three. I think the king in the end, like the last collage, actually yeah. is really interesting. Because I've been doing a lot of research on like the Moors, like the Black Moors in Italy. And I think now looking back on it, that was like a hidden gem for me in the future. Because we just saw like a Black man as a king and we're like, okay, great. But I think it's actually a depiction of St. Benedict the Moor, who was like one of the, like a a Black saint. And so that's really cool. Um, So that's one. Another thing. There are, I don't know, I feel like I've said this before, but my mom's paintings are in the film. Yes, you have said that. And those are put in there a lot. There, the little girl, the little, there's like, there's a part where like the the man, the boy turns to a man in the first um, black and white one. Yeah. That's actually a little girl. Oh. Turns into an older man and people don't realize that. There's a lot of gender. Wait, is that catalog images, by the way? Or is that people that you knew that you like? They're like archive images. Mm-hmm. Yeah, got it. Um, but people who do, can, can I just say, poor people who do archive images. I know I've done archive images. And that shit, you get paid like a hundred bucks or something. And you're like, oh my God, I got money. And then that shit will get used left and right for certain big stuff. And you're just like, damn it, I should have signed that. It's like, you get, we got, we have it. <laughs> Um, what is the other i don't know what else um what is the 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 graph there's writings in there that that with like some of the birds and things like that that i could for the life of me have never been able to read oh yeah they're like really loopy and like yeah that i i think the first one says hermes um flight and other it's about like hermes and i think He's saying like it's like flight and other. There's like queer and one in black and one, and then I want to say like quest or something like that. Yeah, that's like the third one. I'll look into them and I'll let you know. I, yes, I, would, I totally forgot, but they're right. like they're literally three like kind of chapters in the book. Yes, um, which I just picked on on today. I was like, yeah. I, I said it was divided into three. All right, shall we do the lyrics situation? Which I yes. feel like I kind of know. But you said every time everybody watches it, they have their own interpretation of it and you want to kind of leave it. So this will be your interpretation of two little sections that I've pulled. So I'll stop at every full stop. Or do you want me to say the whole paragraph? Um, No, to say the full paragraph. Okay. This in no way is going to be done accurately by the narrated voice that was in there, which was so much better. Mine is going to be dry AF. So just live with it, people. It will be like British. 
Well, I'm not really British. Like, I'm born in Holland, so this will be... It will sound... It will sound what it will sound like, kids. Just deal with it. Um, Daddy hated them stories and said they would make us into fairies and not the kind from Mama's books. He said boys were to be brave and soon would take place as men of the house. But Mommy said there were two types of fairies. The good ones that the good ones made from laughter and those made from secrets and our family had secrets. So yeah. pretty much what they're saying is like I think I, I really like that those lines because I think it plays a lot around with fairies. Um I really wanted to really I think in it might have been the eighteen like the end of the 1800s into the early 1900s, like fairies became kind of this like slur for gay men. Yep. Like, um, that's kind of what the father is referring to of like, oh, like, if you keep telling these young boys these fairy tales, they actually will become gay men. Or like, they will become, they won't have like the, the strength to be um, men, I guess. And so that's like kind of the first part. But then also the mom kind of counteracts that by saying like, actually the only fairies you have to be scared about are like the real ones or like the ones in the books because those fairies are kind of like a metaphor of like beautiful, like um, I guess kind of like these auras or like these, or like um, these intentions you set out can come from like, secrets or like joy mm-hmm. and like laughter is like a like you know like because in um in peter pan i have to go back into like oh <laughs> uh, in peter pan you know they say like fairies come from when the first time a baby laughs correct and so i, I mean like i haven't watched it in like six thousand years but sure yeah, but that's what they say you know yeah. and so, so then i started to wonder i was like there must be evil fairies because there must be like fairies from the first time a baby cries, like first time a baby like lies or like holds a secret, you know? And like what, and I think that dynamic kind of shows the kind of like the the impact we have on the world, I think of like the joy we have like resonates across the world and this like kind of shame we can hold also resonates. I thought that was a genius way. Um, All right, the next part, maybe the trees were afraid too. It is why they didn't bloom that spring. To kill fear is not a job for the faint heart, for you must kill a piece of yourself in the process. The creature in your head that consumes your mind in your heart and soul, making you dormant like the trees. So at first, you'll never believe this. I like kind of wrote How to Raise a Black Boy as like a sci-fi film. At first, because I was like, oh, we're going to talk about like how trees, Black masculinity and climate change are all happening at the same time. And I would then like I to see like, that version. What? <laughs> I would like to see that version. I was like, wait a minute. And then I saw everything and we got there and I was like, we have to change some stuff. And so I started to kind of, um, so I, so with all of that, I think there is this kind of idea of like, I try to kind of think of like black men as trees in different ways. And that's kind of where my brain started with, with that idea with the sci-fi kind of film and like deforestation alongside like the mass killings of black people in general so I kind of thought of like in in what ways like as a black person when you're seeing when you're seeing your family being killed across the world and I think as trees when like if trees were to see their family be killed across the world instead of to be killed by like an axe or by a machine they would just go dormant and die themselves and I think 
in some ways that's kind of how I started to feel yeah where I was like oh like if people like if this is the situation like I'll just die you know like and I'll hold myself back or I'll like just numb myself away and I and that's kind of the whole idea but of like and, and I think also the metaphor for me and like my own mental health was like we go through these periods of like dormancy and spring always is coming and so do trees have faith that spring comes again I think some ways they do or maybe they don't and they forget every year but it comes back. And so that's kind of one thing with myself that I tried to remind myself that we're in cycles. Yeah. And I think with the film, there's a lot of cycles and it's not linear. The film's not about lines. And so in nature, it's about cycles. So I've been trying to remind, that's the kind of idea for myself while writing it and for others was like trying to look at our lives through cycles and not through lines because we will go back to those places again, but we'll maybe have the knowledge of like, oh, spring comes. Got it. How much of it, I'm curious to know, just um, you wrote pre and post in terms of the narration. It was probably like 40, 60. I wrote like 40% of it before and then 60% after. How do you, I'm, I'm intrigued to know this, when you write your treatments and when you're doing stuff, how do you shoot specific shots that you know, is it a much more like a holistic experience? that you end up shooting a lot of shit that's just gonna make sense with like the narration or you're just like dear god I hope okay so this was my idea behind it I don't know if this works I don't know if this is true I don't know if this is how people would tell you to do it in film school but I was like okay so these are the shots like I had my shot list and my shot list was and I had a script too and I was like okay so boys come in they run in the house blah, blah, blah. and there was storyboarding no, basically and it was just visual at this yeah. point all visual and I was like there will be narration over this eventually but I don't want to get the I don't want the I what I did not want to do was write for me and this is kind of how I feel like I don't want to write the narration before the visual because I was like if I get stuck it's not gonna fit like these kids can't fit this like I'm not gonna like I want to feel organic of what we're saying because I feel like the words are telling I know that sounds weird, but like the words are telling the story, right? Yeah. So then see the visual from the words. So like if I were to make it, I would have to see the visual and then place the words behind it so that it feels organic. Like it feels almost actually synced. But that's from you as a filmmaker, right? So like from an acting perspective, what do you tell your actors and your crew? Like how like, do you- Like told them what was happening. Like yeah. I told them kind of what was happening, but also we like, <laughs> but we lived what was, we like did what was happening in the moment. Like we like said, this is the idea. Like we knew we were talking about like um, the trees and like things like that. And I gave like really broad ideas, but it wasn't like, a, it wasn't like, oh, this is your point and you need to be here. Like it was like, we are having an exploration in the woods with all these things and we are I knew what was happening like I think back like I actually knew I knew the story I knew the story of what was happening yeah I just didn't know how the story was going to be told I didn't know yeah. but like I like knew like the boys do this they go into the basement they find this man the man is upstairs they go away and they run away they run 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 they come back they go like I had all that stuff 
But yeah. I did not have the narration to go over. What, just pause that thought. So what about the MTV piece that you did, as well as the Dazed piece that you did? Um, For the MTV thing, we had that kind of all, it was all the same. It was all like one script because it was like a commercial yeah. kind of thing. So it was like the script was already made. We already knew what we were going to say. We shot everything exactly when we wanted to shoot it. The Dazed one was, that was actually really fun. It was like, we had a script <clears throat> and it was really fun. Like the script was really cool. But also we, it was just like interviews as well. Yes. Also done in three chapters for me. Yeah. I like threes. Yeah. It's like the act of three. So this you learn in script writing all the time, which is like act, five act plays, five acts, three act structures and things like that. And yeah. I was just like, this is very much, but done in a very cute way for a lack of words like I love yeah. the truth and dare at the end yeah it's like it should be like feel somewhat honest you know like, and like yeah. and like we're changing you know like people like we get to know everybody we've gone through everyone's interview right and then we get to play truth or dare right and we see that and then we have that last little dance thing that is like yeah <laughs> and then it ends but it still goes back to kind of what was happening in the beginning. Got it. The arc. The overall arc. Yeah. Like the yeah. phone call, you know? Intrigued to know the technicality challenges as well as the post-production joys that you've had. So the technicalities in terms of like obtaining, let's say, funding or mm -hmm. or um, budgets and things like that or like premise, I don't know, insurances, locations and stuff like that or like pitching it versus... Like when I watched it at BFI Flare and I reached out to you and I was like, oh my God, this is like the best shit ever. Or like similar stories. So like what have been those two things? But well, as a black boy, I still am kind of amazed on how it was done. I think I just went into like a extreme amount of focus that I'm still trying to deal with with myself. Because um, it was really, I just really was like, we will make this film. <laughs> and we did some crowdfunding. I paid for some of it. I then found like private investors. It was just like, I was just like literally like, like in New York, just like looking for dollars on the street. You know what I mean? Like it was like that, like, like, okay, we have money here. We have money here. We have this, 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 and this. And um, I just we just got it done and i and and it and it wasn't expensive because i think it was it was a student film so it wasn't expensive really i did not know this that it's a student film yeah i was a student in college when i made it this is a good student film then for a student <laughs> film to done what it's done cuz like you received like it, it went places it's not done do you know what i mean yeah but... it was my first film like american horror story i don't even count cuz american horror story was a part of when I went to NYU drama and I went to Stone oh, Street. That's good. The first time I went to NYU, yeah. I went to a summer program. Got it. It was a weird thing. <laughs> I didn't listen to him. Um, I forgot the guy's name. I can, I can pull up on YouTube if his credits are there, if you want me to. Might be there. He was my teacher. And he told me, like, Justice Amazons. No, it doesn't say. A film directed and written by Justil Jumancho, starring Emma Kidd, Zach Gold, and just, nope, doesn't say anything. Okay. Yeah. Well, he told me, he was like, Justice, maybe you shouldn't go to drama school. Maybe you should apply for film school. And I was like, no, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I want to go to drama school. Because we did that in a summer program, and that was a class. Wow. Like, we did a whole bunch of stuff. And it was a month. 
it was like six, no, six weeks. And we did that in like, I made that film in like weeks. And like, I edited it all together myself and I was in my room just like editing away, just wanting to be good and like make something cool. And, and like, that's what happened. And so but I think it's, I, but I also think like, it's all like relative. And I think it's yeah. all like, it's like all a cycle. Like I was like feeling like I was in summer with Hotters of Buckway when it came out and it was hot, you know, like spring it came out and it was hot and it was hot for a bit and it's hot, hot, you know what I mean? And we went into fall and now I feel like Hotters of Buckway might be entering, it's like winter and that's okay. And like, while I'm in winter, I'm thinking about some other things. And I think that is what I've been realizing is important. And I think in New York, honestly, I didn't think that this was possible. I always thought, oh, I have a new thing every month. I have to be something, do something new. I have to tell people that I'm relevant. And that makes your work bad, I think. Um, I think there's a reason not to talk about Beyonce again. There's a reason that Beyonce doesn't make an album every month, every year. You know what I mean? There's a I tell you she makes it every time into a goddamn episode. Not even Beyonce, but like any like Ariana Grande, like Rihanna hasn't made music in years. That's because you know music I mean? doesn't make money. No, but like, but like, but but that's their art. These people believe in their art though. Like you know, like even like Lady Gaga, like they don't need it to make it. They like music is, they don't need it to make money. Yeah. But they do it because it's like what they do. Yeah. You know, like that's how I feel. Like this is what I do. You know, like it, I'll make money in other ways and it does other, it like supplements some things, but like it's what they do. And like, I think that comes with like allowing yourself like a reinvention and allowing yourself like a little bit of a like step away. Um, because I know that these things only exist in like these like five minute spurts. Well, everyone, that brings us to the end of part one of part two of my chat with the one and only Justice Jamal Jones. I'm so thankful to Justice for the time and generosity. Make sure to keep an eye out for part two because it'll be also full of banter, but most importantly, full of games because we get into the game section of the show. All of the information about the guest, myself, and the show will be listed in the bio. Make sure to follow, share, comment, and subscribe. Show us all some love because isn't that what we want at the end of the day? Some love. Your support really helps the show and the message of it grow and the people that are on here. Thank you again. And as I always say, breathe in, breathe out. Now must go. Which means now I must go. I own that. That is copyrighted and I will sue. <laughs> Joking. Have a great one and stay curious. Till next time.